Welcome to Heartbeats. I'm Kathy Murtaugh Schaefer, and I'm your host for the episode of Heartbeats. This podcast is brought to you by Shipley Cardiothoracic Center, an educational series dedicated to providing our patients and the community with information and education about our cardiothoracic surgery program. Today we have with us Dr. Randall Buss, one of Shipley's founding surgeons, to talk to us about a very special device in heart surgery called an impella. Welcome, Dr. Buss, and thank you so much for being with us here today. Well, thank you for having me. Perhaps we can start this discussion off with a little bit of history about pump devices and their evolution. Well, the original pump device that's been used for decades, probably since the 1970s, is the intra-aortic balloon pump. That name is kind of a misnomer, because the intra-aortic balloon pump is actually not a pump. Uh, The intra-aortic balloon pump is a catheter that goes on through your artery and your groin, Mm -hmm. and on the end of the pump is basically a a sausage-shaped balloon. And it inflates and deflates with the heart cycle to take the load off the heart. For example, when the heart is beating, the balloon is down, so the blood is practically sucked out of the heart into Mm -hmm. the aorta, the artery of the body. and, and then when the heart is not beating, the balloon goes up. But it doesn't actually deliver flow. Huh. It just beats with the heart cycle to make it, to do two things. Number one, take the load off the heart. And number two, to increase the circulation to, through the heart's arteries, the coronary arteries. So in essence, it's kind of um, facilitating the pumping action of the heart? That is correct. The intra-aortic balloon pump doesn't pump, but it helps the heart to pump. It takes the load off the heart, but it does have its limitations since it's not really providing blood flow. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not providing that push that goes makes blood flow through the That's artery. That's correct. Um, so, how has this Impella device come, come about? What's the history behind all of that? Well, this device was developed approximately 15 years ago and it has a coaxial screw in the device that is based off the Archimedes screw from Egyptian history 3,000, 2,500 years ago, where it's on a microaxial device that it can deliver flow through the catheter of up to five to five and a half liters. Now, I will tell you every minute the normal heart pumps about five to five Mm -hmm. and a half liters. Mm So it can deliver full flow for the left side of the heart. Wow. Um, and it's amazing because the device is not is about the size of a pencil in diameter, but it can trem- uh, get tremendous flow of five liters through that device on an every-minute basis. It's a rather amazing device. And I'm looking at this device Dr. Buss has in his hands, and he's right. It's not much bigger than a pencil, and it's pretty interesting to think that this little thin cord could actually send that much blood flow through the body. Does it facilitate the other side of the heart, any return? Well, a lot of times we, the basic device is used for the left side of the heart. Mm -hmm. There is a second device for the right side. Oh, that I didn't know. But for the left side of the heart, when you unload the left side of the heart, it makes it easier on the right side Mm -hmm. of the heart. But there are some patients that once we fix the left side of the heart, we realize the right side of the heart also needs work, and we put in a right-sided impel device. Interesting. 
has this impella gone through randomized clinical trials and what did those trials show? Well, this was all started about 15 years ago and it got initial approval was about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. The devices, the initial devices only delivered about two and a half liters of flow. And then there's one that got three and a half liters of flow. And there's one in the last couple of years that five liters of flow. And let's start with what is the device used for? It's used basically in two places. Mm -hmm. Number one, in the cardiac catheterization laboratory. And number two, in the heart surgery operating room. And the indications are generally one of two. Number one, if a cardiologist is doing percutaneous intervention or a stent with a balloon on a high-risk patient, a lot of times they're worried about the risk of that procedure. Mm-hmm. And they will put in the two-and-a-half or occasional three-and-a-half uh, device to make it easier for the heart during that procedure. And that's used quite commonly now these days for the high-risk percutaneous mm-hmm. interventions. Now, the second group of patients are the patients who are in shock. Basically, they've had a huge heart attack. They come Mm -hmm. into the hospital, and they're dying of of a heart attack. Because their heart's just not pumping. It's not pumping. And those patients are always initially taken to the cardiac catheterization laboratory, where they look at the coronary arteries. But if the patient's in shock, they will put one of the three-and-a-half devices into the patient. Mm -hmm. They are limited from, they come up through the groin arteries, they can only put in a two and a half or a three and a half liter device. But if the patient's in shock, they can put a three and a half hour, 3.5 device in, which is, gets about two thirds of blood flow. Mm-hmm. And they can maybe try to do, uh, well, they do the catheterization, maybe try to do stents, or maybe they give the heart surgeon a call and say, this guy needs more work than just a stent. And then the patient needs an emergency operation occasionally. And when the patient goes to the operating room, the impella stays in that's been inserted? That is correct. The device, if you can imagine, the device goes up through your groin artery, circles around the aorta, and then the device actually fits through the aortic valve into your left ventricle, which is your main pumping chamber of the heart. And when it's inside the left ventricle, it sucks the blood out of the left ventricle inside the heart Mm -hmm. and goes through the microaxial screw and then it's delivered to the aorta, uh, two and a half, three and a half, five, five to five and a half liters of flow. But it, yes, the device actually goes through the aortic valve. Wow. And uh, I'm assuming this device on the outside is connected to a machine of some sort. Yeah, there's a machine that runs it, mm-hmm. and it, the electronics are, are unbelievable because now they can be monitored from at home oh. or, or, or let's say you can monitor any place in the country, the company can help you monitor the device because it's all electronics now. That's amazing. That is amazing. Can you explain to our listeners why would you use an impella versus an inter-aortic balloon pump? Well, there's basically two groups of patients that we see mm-hmm. in the operating room. Number one are the patients, let's start with the patient who comes in with shock. Mm-hmm. And I, I, we have to take the patient to the operating room because they're dying unless we do something. And in those patients, we recognize that when we do the surgery, after the surgery, the heart usually won't function really well for a few days. And they have to be on high doses of drugs, which are detrimental to other parts of the body, mm-hmm. for example, the kidneys, the brain, um, and the, uh, the lungs. 
And in that patient's in terrible shock, we will bring them to the operating room, do the bypass surgery, and then if, and then we'll generally put in a five or five and a half liter device. So basically the heart can rest while it recovers. Mm -hmm. And that's the patient who's in shock. Now the second group of patients, which we've seen much more frequently recently, is patients who have chronic heart failure. Mm -hmm. These are the sort of patients that are at home they literally can't walk from one room to the other because they get so short of breath because uh, their heart's not functioning. Well. Yeah. And they have they need major surgery. Generally, they need valve surgery, sometimes more than one valve, maybe two or three valve surgery. Wow. And may also need bypass surgery. But the mortality of that surgery may be 50%. Mm -hmm. And so in the past, we've not been able to offer that surgery because we would, as I said, we would lose half the patients, and that's just not a reasonable thing to right. do. But unfortunately, the patients are sitting at home and they're suffering. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just can't walk, they can't live. And now with this device, and we've used the device in about 20 patients in these patients, and we'll plan to put the device in at the time of surgery. Mm -hmm. We have a 95% survival with wow. only a 5% mortality, so that's a dramatic improvement. Agreed. And certain the patients will take a 5% risk because they're just suffering at home. Right. And we'll put the device in, we'll do the heart surgery. Now this is a temporary device. And so we, we generally use them four, five, or six days and then remove the device. The uh, permanent bad devices are something completely separate and are not like this. Well, these are temporary devices that we can use. Which brings up an interesting question. How is that removed? Well, it depends where it's put in. If it's put in through the groin, mm -hmm. it's just removed from the groin. And you just pull it out you pull like it a out long and string. You put pressure, or uh -huh. um, the cardiologist will take it out at the end of his procedure in elective procedure in the mm -hmm. cath lab. Mm -hmm. Now, we put them in, generally, we put them in either through the artery going to the arm. Oh. That's one way we can do that. And what we can do is just cut down. There's a Dacron graft sewn to that artery arm, and we'll pull out the device. and staple off the ground. Mm -hmm. But more and more, we've been directly putting them in to the aorta through a drag rod graft. Really? And that's what we do, that's what we generally do in the operating room. So once you've opened up the chest, that's basically. Correct. So what we do is we, at the end of the, the first operation, the device is brought out just above the chest incision on the side of the neck. Mm -hmm. And that makes it very easy for us to come back, let's say five days later, we take them back to the operating room, put them back to sleep, but just make a small incision on the neck. Mm -hmm. We extract the device and staple off the Dacron graft. So it, so we don't even open their chest. So you don't have to reopen the chest. That's which great. The, and so the patients, it's just a rather amazing. Right, um, right. The one thing I find most amazing, I've been doing heart surgery for over 30 years. And so we see, we've seen the patient for years. We've taken to the operating room. It's just a huge operation. And we get them through the surgery, but they're on very high doses of epinephrine and mm -hmm. norepinephrine, and um, they're just suffering, and they're sitting on the ventilator. Now, when we do these on planned procedures in patients, um, it's frequently the next morning they're up sitting in the sitting eating breakfast as you walk to see wow. them at 7 a.m., yeah. and they've got this device coming out the side mm -hmm. of the neck, flowing at five liters a minute, but they're just sitting there talking to you. They, feel, they feel great. They feel fine, they? and yeah. they're generally on no drugs or very mm -hmm. few drugs. And so the important thing is all the other organs are getting normal blood flow. Yes. The kidneys, yes. the brain, the lungs, the liver, and they're not suffering at all. Because in the past, a lot of times the heart got better after three or four days, 
but the patient's other organs suffered so much that they died of multi-systems organ failure. Mm -hmm. And now we're protecting all the other organs with the device and we just wait until the heart's fully recovered to remove the device. Absolutely amazing. Are there any inherent risk to using the Impella? The risk of the Impella, we have not seen problems ourselves. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go in through the artery in the groin, mm -hmm. and the patient already has blockages in the arteries to the groin, that can, that can be a problem with the leg, blood flow to the leg. Mm -hmm. For example, that's one thing. Um, we have not seen trouble with, with placing it directly into the aorta. We have not seen, for example, we've not seen it puncture the heart. We've not seen any of that. Now, what we have seen is sometimes the device will move a little bit, and we have to come into the, using echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound evaluation of the yeah. heart, and that can see the device. We maybe have to adjust the location of the device, but we've not seen complications of the device itself. Any issues with clotting around the device? No, we put them on a low-dose blood thinner heparin generally later that day. We've not seen the device clot in the patients we have done. Uh, and there's some patients who at other locations have had the device for several weeks mm -hmm. and they've not had major problems either. It's a rather remarkable device. I know that um, one of the big concerns with some of the earlier LBADs was uh, the problem of clotting. And uh, so I was curious about this. That's not been a problem with these devices mm -hmm. that we have seen. I think one of my partners had one that Stop, that stopped functioning a couple of days later, and he just took the patient back to the operating room, took that one out, put another one put back another in, one in, and the patient did just fine, mm -hmm. and had that one taken out a few days later. Amazing, just amazing. I think that it's very impressive, the data that you just presented as far as um, your surgical outcomes are concerned. Do you have a feel for what nationally the data looks like? I've not, I, there's two groups of patients. Mm -hmm both in the cath lab and in the operating room. The patients that you plan to put the device in generally do very well in both the operating room and the cath lab. The patients who are in shock when they come with a bad heart attack and they're put in the cath lab, their mortality is much higher because they're dying of well, a heart just attack. just an overall, yeah, yeah. that or, makes sense. Or in the patients that we have to take when the patient at the end of heart surgery is doing very poorly, we try to, then we try to put them in. We have not seen good results from that, obviously, I think. Uh, probably more mortality is probably 50%. But the ones that we plan to put it in advance of all, well, at least the vast majority of them are extremely mm -hmm. well. So there's this criteria that you use for um, evaluating patients who come in who you know need heart surgery, and you've decide, you have to make a decision about whether or not you're going to put this device in. And that includes patients who have either massive heart attack and the heart isn't pumping well, or patients who have been in persistent what we call heart failure. They've got water on their lungs, they have um, swelling in their ankles, and um, have had that for chronic, uh, ha had a chronic problem with this. Am I saying this correctly? I agree. I agree okay. completely. Great. Um, do you feel that this device has any futuristic um, potentials? Well, they, they've upgraded the device every few years. Mm -hmm. I mean, the flows have gone initially from, you know, two and a half to now right. five and a half liters. And as I was saying, now just the last few years, they've got one for the right side of the heart. That's an interesting concept. Which comes up yeah. through your vein in your leg instead mm -hmm. of artery in your leg. And that's been quite effective. But the interesting thing is 
as technology improves, one wonders if they're getting smaller and smaller. That is amazing, really. And uh, it's amazing what they've already done, but there's always amazing what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. So one would hope that these devices would get smaller and smaller and, and be used in a, a less invasive way. And they're already very good, but we're always hoping for something that's right, better. Right. Any application for this device in our COVID-related heart issues? No, usually the, the COVID-related issues are lung issues, although we clotting has been a problem mm -hmm. in some patients. Um, we have not used this device. If we've had patients with COVID pneumonia, uh, particularly younger patients who just cannot oxygenate, literally the lungs don't work, right. so they're not absorbing oxygen into the blood, what we generally put, in, put them on is what's called ECMO, which is basically a heart-lung machine. Mm -hmm. uh, and that way, they, their body, we can deliver the oxygen to them. We do that very rarely because if they need that, they're it's, profoundly ill. Yeah, it's a bad sign. And they're li literally dying. Mm -hmm. And we use them for the very young patients. I did one just a few weeks ago with hopes we can make him pull through. But, but uh, that's, this device would not make the lungs work better. It just makes the heart yes. work better. Yes. Anything that you would like to share with us, an experience or knowledge that I haven't asked you about that is Well, I, I'm just saying that the times I've used this device, it, it's, just, it's just a leap forward. Because mm -hmm. uh, I've been doing heart surgery for over 30 years, and I've done patients just like this over the years, and had patients who, some, we struggled to get them through, mm -hmm. or they lost their kidneys or were on dialysis or we just barely made it through, or maybe barely did. And this device gives you a safety. It gives you a large margin of safety that it's really kind of a leap forward. And it's just a pleasure to actually use the device. I was gonna say, it must be such a relief. It's a relief and see the yeah. patient the next morning talking to you mm -hmm. instead of laying there on the ventilator, or maybe even on dialysis for goodness sake. It's just, it's just a pleasure to use it. A big amount of satisfaction in that, I can imagine. Dr. Randall Buss, thank you so much for being willing to share your knowledge and experience with our listeners. I know I learned a lot today, and I'm going to ask our listeners to join us again for an upcoming podcast when Dr. Buss will be speaking to us about coronary artery bypass surgery, the most common type of heart surgery. Until then, I'm Kathy Murtaugh Schaefer, and this has been Heartbeats, Shipley Cardiothoracic Center's podcast dedicated to bringing research, innovation, and education to our patients and the community. Have a great day.